Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. He sees blessing in Obed-Edom's house, and he wants in on it. So now he realizes now is the time to bring the ark, but we got to do it right. David wanted to turn this blessing over the whole nation so that everybody could be blessed by the Lord as well. Now, it does not directly say it here in the text, but when you read between the lines, I'm not adding to scripture, but you can see it here. It's obvious that David had reflected on his mistakes. He realized now we need to do it, but do it right. So he had to correct his heart. Friend, you got to correct your heart when you mess up. David had to correct himself to have proper reverence to the Lord. His heart needed to be glad. That's a very important point right here. It says he had gladness. A lot of people, they're going on, they're trusting the Lord. I know the Lord's got this, but they're just not happy. What's wrong? You need to have gladness in the Lord. It's the Lord God Almighty who who loves his people. Have your gladness. Turn that gladness switch on. Be joyful in the Lord God. His heart was right now, and that's why the Lord had shut him down before is because he was doing things wrong and he got angry. His his attitude got off somewhere. Friend, I want you to understand that when the Lord puts the brakes on your life or throws a, a wrench in your cogwheels and everything locks up, don't get mad at God. Stop and go, wait a minute, What what did I do wrong? And review that, and I guarantee you he'll show you so that you can get back on the right track again. Now, I want you to look at verse 13 here, how it says that there were those who were, quote, bearing the ark. They were bearing the ark. This means that the ark was not put back up on a cart. They didn't do it the way they did it before. There were actually people who were carrying it properly as they were supposed to. So from this, we can see the evidence. David's full circle, how he came back around. He started off doing things his own way, which is called iniquity when you do things your own way. But then he was shut down by God and he went into an anger spell, but he did repent of his iniquity. He repented of his sin and he turned around. He offered a sacrifice. You can tell he was repentant because he offered a sacrifice because he did things his own way. He did a sacrifice before they even took the ark away, obviously to cover for the sin of previously doing it the wrong way. And David went back, he turned around to operating in the Lord's way. We just got to see a full picture of a big turnaround, the full journey from sinning to conviction, even some anger in there, to repenting, turning around and getting back on track again. But I want us to recognize how the Lord did not cut David off from being king. He didn't cut him down. He didn't say, well, you know, you messed up once, you're over with. I'm going to give it to somebody else like he did with Saul. Remember, Saul messed up, but Saul Saul was never repentant about it. Saul made excuses. Big difference between Saul and David. 
So he did not tell David, that's it, you're done, you're out of here. Because even though David quit on God, even for three months, he quit on God, God did not quit on David. And so because he was repentant about it, the Lord set him back on track. And so now they're taking the ark to Jerusalem, this time with proper reverence, and they're doing the job right. And it's apparent that the Lord's approval is upon it because he's not stopping him this time. 2 Samuel 6 and 16. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread. That's a lot of people, guys. Look at this. A piece of meat and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Look at that. The ark is in Jerusalem, and bam, the blessing is on. But you can see how happy David was. He was dancing and leaping. This is what hits me. Have you ever messed up really bad, and you thought you blew it, but then you were forgiven? Did that not make you happy? Well, here's David. He messed up bad, and he was too scared to quit to keep going, so he quit. But then he realized that God had not counted him out yet. Friend, God has not counted you out just because you made a major mistake in your life. But look at what David did. He, he thought he messed up, and the Lord did not count him out, and his joy has been restored because he was forgiven. And he says, okay, now get back on. Let's go again. And it made David have his joy was driven up, amplified joy, friends. And he's dancing with such joy because he knows he's been forgiven of so much. We got to get a fix on what David's doing here that his wife, Michael, couldn't understand because she didn't get it. Now, there's an interesting detail here in the picture. David himself performed offerings. He didn't order other people to do the offerings. He did them himself. So I want to ask you, what tribe were the priests from? The priests who could do these offerings and sacrifices, who could do that? The priests from what tribe? The tribe of Levi. What was David's tribe? David was from the tribe of Judah. How can David be acting like a priest, doing these sacrifices like this, when he was not from the tribe of Levi? In fact, to further this, if you look at verse 14, it says that David wore an ephod. An ephod is a priest's garment. So, so here's this guy from the tribe of Judah, and he's wearing the priest's ephod that's supposed to be for a Levite, and he's doing sacrifices. He's from Judah. He's not a Levite. Now, apparently, the Lord was okay with this because, like before, he didn't cut David off this time. So what is actually going on here? Let us consider something real quick as we move into this. Jesus Christ, the Lord God, he is also from the tribe of Judah. He is also our high priest, and he also was our sacrifice. All right, I like where you're going with this, Ray, but what, what is the picture here? I want to show you what God the Father said of Jesus in Hebrews 5, verse 6. It says, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, 
I've heard wonderful explanations. I'm probably not going to do near as good a job as they have done, but I will give it my best. Melchizedek, who was that? Melchizedek was a king priest of Salem before Jerusalem. Okay. Ooh, that is a long time ago. Yes, it is. I believe he was the Lord himself who appeared to Abraham before Jesus Christ's time. Okay. But when God said that Jesus' priesthood was according to Melchizedek, it means that Jesus' priesthood was of a greater priesthood than the Levites. His priesthood was not in the order of Levi, but in the higher order, the specific order of Melchizedek. Jesus was not a Levite order priest. He was a Melchizedek order priest. In fact, if you read back when Abraham offered a tithe to Melchizedek as the father of the entire Israelite nation, Abraham represented the entire Israelite nation. So all of the Levites had not been born yet. And so at the time, they were within Abraham. The Levite line was within Abraham. So was the Benjamite line. So was the Judah line, all of them. They were all within Abraham. At the time when Abraham offered tithe to Melchizedek, it was as though the Levites were offering a tithe upward even to Melchizedek because Abraham did it. Sounds wild? I know. But I want you to read this verse here with me that I believe backs it up about Melchizedek. Hebrews 7 and 4. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. I hope I gave you enough information to kind of see what's going on here before we read that verse. So the Levites, it says, it says the Levites received tithes from the people so that they could in turn bless the people back with spiritual things. The people would give them financial monetary tithing so that the Levite priest could bless them in spiritual things. The lesser is blessed by the better, it says. So the people who were under the Levite priesthood could receive their blessings from the Levites because they tithe to them. So the Levites were still in the loins of Abraham. Then that means Abraham represented all the tribes of Israel collectively in one man. And when Abraham tithed up to Melchizedek, that means that Melchizedek was a higher order than even the Levites who were within Abraham. Melchizedek would then in turn bless the tribes of Israel back in the spiritual things. The lesser is blessed by the better. This means that Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to the priesthood of the Levites because Melchizedek's priesthood is eternal. Friends, the Levite priesthood is not eternal. It only is going to go so long. And Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, but his priesthood was not according to the order of the Levites, but according to the higher, more superior, eternal order of Melchizedek. See, the Levite priests could only atone in there for the people of Israel once a year, and they had to do it again and again and again, and it was only limited. It did not wash the sins away. Well, friends, you and I have Messiah Jesus, 
who is of a superior, more eternal priesthood. Our sins can be washed away eternally. We don't have to keep coming back and back and back. Jesus doesn't have to be crucified again and again. He died once for all. Aren't you excited about that? Don't you, aren't you glad that you can go on through absolute eternity from now on once you receive Jesus and that your sins are totally done and atoned for, covered, washed away, canceled out, whatever you want to call it, they are gone forever. It took a better priesthood than the Levites to pull that off. And so, why is King David performing sacrifices, a guy from Judah, while wearing an ephod? He was foreshadowing the messianic line that would come from him, that would go towards our coming king, Messiah Jesus, who is our high priest, who would be the sacrifice for our sins forever. Higher order, eternal order, better priesthood than any man ever carried. Aren't you glad? Second Samuel 6 and 20. Then David turned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Friends, once again, this is about proper reverence here. She didn't have it. She could not understand how much David had been forgiven of and why it was so important that the presence of the Lord on the ark came into Jerusalem. She wasn't getting it. All she could see is, David, you look like an absolute idiot. And she felt she had to tell him what her mind was thinking. She just couldn't hold it. Had to blow it out all over him. She kind of cut into him, and it was not the way to talk to a king. You don't talk to a king like that. And so David had to remind Michael of his position. He's like, look, God chose me. And he justified his actions to Michael. He says, hey, I'm going to do it, and I will be even more undignified than this. Obviously, the Lord agreed with David's response to Michael here because he closed her womb. She had no more children because she addressed David with no reverence. We saw David's group punished for lack of reverence, and now Michael had to suffer for hers too, her lack of reverence. Friends, it's very important that you have proper reverence unto the Lord. But what really gets me here is how David responded to Michael's accusation of being undignified. She goes, you're the king. It's basically, she said, you're the king, David. You're the king. You should be walking a little taller than this. You should be walking a little more uppity uppity than what you were doing. But when David said he would be even more undignified than this, he was speaking of humility. He was speaking of lowliness. She said, you should stand higher. And David says, hey, I will stand even lower. Yet again, why is he doing this? Yet again, David is showing us the coming Messiah, King Jesus, the high priest who would be the sacrifice for us because King Jesus, he lowered himself to the most undignified position that a person could ever go, even to the point of death on the cross. And so how wonderful it must have been that the ark finally comes to Jerusalem that day, and even more wonderful that we have such a godly 
king, priest, and Messiah Jesus, who is our sacrifice lamb, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, our high priest forever, because he is of a higher priestly order than that of any man that any man could ever have. And so in closing, this story should help you to review yourself and how you view the Lord God. Do you have a true reverence for the Lord God, Is or do you just not care? I'll do whatever I want my way, or do you care to think, wait, maybe I need to, maybe I need to see what the Lord wants me to do. Do you have reverence for the Lord? Oh, sure I do. Do you study God's Word? How can you know what proper reverence is if you're not reading the Word? Remember, they didn't handle the ark correctly. They messed up. They had to get it right. Friends, are you handling your reverence with the Lord correctly? If not, you need to know what God's Word says so that you can know how to correct yourself. Even the best of us at times, we fall like David. We fall short. We're sinners. Don't forget the fact that you're a sinner and you're not God and He is. But when you get into this get-or-done mode, project mode, I'm trucking, got to get this done, got to get that done, sometime along the way we lose sight of why we are even doing it in the first place. Why are you doing it? Why do you get up and go to church on Sunday? It's because you've always done it. I have even seen people get into ministry. Ministry. I've been to Bible college, been around a lot of people, and I've seen them do these things that although they were doing the work, they had forgotten to do it with reverence to the Lord. They forgot that big element. They turned ministry into more of a work project. I, I, I'm the pastor. I got to do this sermon. I got to. I got to head to the church. You know, the people are going to show up for prayer night. We got to be there for prayer. Got to check this box. Check that box. Make sure everything's moving along. But they forgot all about that they were supposed to be doing it for the joy. Remember, David had gladness. They're supposed to do it for the joy of the Lord. Don't forget your joy until they ran along my way, and suddenly the Lord put the brakes on their work. On their work. That's the problem, their work. They stomped off angry. And they said, well, forget about it. I guess I can't do this after all. Like David, why should the ark come to me? Well, God, if you don't want me to do ministry, well, then I guess I'll just quit. And they have this attitude of, God, how dare you? How dare you stop what my life was doing? Things were going great. I had all this stuff going. Why did you take this away from me? How dare you, Lord, do this? How dare you put a stop to my work? But the Lord would say, this was never your work. It's mine. It is my work. Now, I want you to take a wild guess who that person was that was in ministry, trucking along, do this, do that, and got the brake slammed on by the Lord. Guess who that was? That was me. I did that. And I can relate with David. He had this momentum rolling strong. I'm the king. Got to move to Jerusalem. Got to get the ark in there. Got to do this. Got to do that. And then, bam, God said, stop. This, You turn this into your work. It ain't mine. You need to do it the way I tell you, not the way you think it should be done. Friends, when you lose your proper reverence to the Lord, you'll think it's your work. And when you think it's your work, that's when you think it all falls on you. That's when you're going to start feeling the burden. And the burden is going to be heavy, and it's going to make you sad, and you're going to be miserable, and you forgot your gladness, you forgot the joy of the Lord, and that's when you realize you're doing it your own way, because you will take over the decision-making process from the Lord. I got this in ministry one time. 
And I thought I blew it. I thought I lost my chance at ministry. I thought I lost my calling. And that's a huge deal for a guy who got called to ministry. For anybody, anybody that loses your, your ministry, you lose your sense of purpose and you get it, it's a little depressing and it, it'll sadden you and you think, well, that was it. I blew it. And the pain of it caused me to channel my anger at the Lord who was only out there trying to help me. And I stormed off to be alone in my pain. I was still doing the stuff, but for a brief period of time, I was so retracted back. I was so withdrawn from the people that I was not pushing out the joy of the Lord that I was supposed to be having. But I saw that God was still out there and he was being patient with me. I saw that there was other people out there having fun. They were out there having a good time. The blessing was going on and I wanted that. I wanted in on it. But the Lord was still out there. He was being patient with me, and he motioned me to come back. So I returned. God said, you fell off. But let me help you get back on, and let's do this again. So I got back into the work, but this time with a proper reverence for God's instruction, and I slowed down. Slow down, buddy. (laughs) Slowed down, and I did the work the way he told me to, and suddenly I started to really love it. Yeah, the same problems were there, but I loved it. I loved the the blessing of the work. The blessing was coming in. And the anger that I had had against the Lord turned into joy because I realized that I had not failed and the Lord shared in my happiness with me. Nehemiah 8 and 10, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I've seen people many times who are just depressed. They're sad. They cannot be happy. And they're believers and they're wondering what happened. But friend, I want to ask you a question. When did the joy of the Lord stop being your strength? When did that happen? Time to turn around. Time to be happy in the Lord. Yes, the problems are still there. Okay. When Peter sank in the water, Lord, help me. And he he grabbed his hand. He goes, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And he raised him back up and he walked. Hey, the waves didn't go away. They were still there, but he walked above them. Friends, your problems may still be there, but that doesn't mean you have to sink into them. You can walk above those problems. Hand it over to the Lord. Get into this Bible. Read this word. Spend time in it. Study it. Look at what God wants of you. Look at how he tells you he wants you to do things. It's in there. I'm on here trying to preach the word of God to you as best I can to try to encourage you, but I'm not enough. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Go get it back. Follow me in prayer. Father, I sinned. I know I messed up, but Lord, I hope I didn't blow it. Your word says I didn't. Because if I were to repent and turn around and get right with you, you will save me and you will bring the blessing in. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for being my king priest who was my sacrifice for all eternity covering my sins so that I can be with you. Thank you for taking the death penalty that I should have taken. Thank you for taking it upon yourself so that I could be free of it and that I can live. I give you my life. You are now Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you gave your life to the Lord, go to setforliferadio.com. Send me a message and let me know so I can encourage you. Thank you for being with me. We'll see you next time. I'm going to keep doing this till the day I die or get called home. Keep coming back and get more Word of God. There's more, more, more. Let's go. If the Bible doesn't excite you, you're not reading it. Let's read it together. Come see me next week.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.